Welcome back to Swift Unwrapped, a weekly podcast about the Swift programming language and other projects at Swift.org. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Smart. And today we're going to be talking about a range of different topics, proposals, things happening on Swift Evolution. Follow-up as yeah, well. And some follow-up. Uh, so in a previous episode, uh, we discussed uh, floating point numbers. Uh, one of the open questions that we had was, why would you ever want to use float 80? What is the point of that? Thankfully, uh, Daniel Dunbar was listening. He replied uh, on Twitter. And uh, we'll have the link in the show notes. There's some discussion there. The uh, short answer is it's used internal to x86 CPUs. And sometimes in scientific contexts, 80 bits of precision will be desirable. But generally, it, it seems like uh, something internal to CPUs. And Daniel notes, uh, he he links to a few things here and elaborates a little bit more on Twitter. Yeah, this is wild to me um, that uh, 80 seems so arbitrary. Uh, you, you could imagine that there might be some optimizations if you actually have another power of two for additional uh, precision, right? If it's a 128-bit float or something like that, but yeah, I might be missing. I'm pro- I'm sure I'm missing a whole lot of backstory on uh, the x86 architecture. Yeah, um, according to Daniel, it's it's apparently it's horrible. It's a pile of hacks. It's yeah. uh, usually not 80 bits in memory around the stack. Um, so the the way compilers do its register allocations uh, can can vary regarding this float 80 implementation it just sounds like a hornet's nest like i don't want to get anywhere close to this yeah exactly it sounds like the more you know about this the less you wish you knew yeah but yeah so that extra two bytes the other thing that we had discussed on the uh http server episode one question we had was why the Xcode project uh, was not checked in to the repo. Um, and obviously, uh, again, so Daniel Dunbar replied to this one as well. That's because for Swift PM projects, uh, Swift PM will generate the Xcode project. And so when you're using uh, SPM uh, as like your primary I don't know, tool for distributing a library, the best practice is to ignore the Xcode proj file and uh, just have SPM generate it for you. Yeah, so I, this is a matter of, of personal preference. I think there are two schools of thought mm-hmm. when it comes to checking in or not checking in auto-generated files. Um, yeah. So you know, one one approach is to check it in so that uh, newcomers to the project don't um, need to read some documentation to understand how to obtain the Xcode project, right? Yeah. The same school of thought as to whether or not you should check in your, your pods or not. Right. Or if you have codegen files using sorcery, if you check those in or not. Yeah. There's an advantage to checking it in, such as that uh, it's one less step for newcomers to a project. You know, they can... Uh, they can start using those generated files right away. And it's also useful when um, you're making changes to those uh, so that you can 
use git diff to, to identify what's changed in the generated output. Exactly. Um, but ultimately, you know, there's advantages to not checking it in as well. I think mostly it's uh, to avoid taking up the space in, in the git history. Yeah, that's never been a very convincing thing to me. I've I've always been of the uh, the mindset that you check all this stuff in. I like the idea conceptually of like, okay, you can check out this repo, git clone, and then just build and run. Yeah. Uh, at any point in time, uh, you don't have to do a bunch of extra steps afterward. Um, and then there's also you know left pad. Right. Uh, so <laughs> there are extremes. But in yeah. this case, you know, it's um I think it's common that people use Xcode to write Swift, right? And so to completely ignore that uh seems a bit counterproductive, especially when you consider that there's no documentation in the README for this HTTP library of how to generate the Xcode project. And so you need to have familiarity with the fact that Swift Package Manager has the option to generate uh, an Xcode project, which you know, isn't immediately obvious, especially if you're new to the Swift Package Manager. Right. So at, at the very least, I think it should be documented that uh, an Xcode project can be generated. And uh, if not, then, hey, maybe it can even be checked in. So next on the list here, some proposals have seen a little bit of movement over the past uh, few weeks. One of those being the remove ownership keyword support and protocols. So you could have a protocol, you could declare like weak var x, and then conformers to that would implement this protocol. But to uh, some people's surprise, uh, those ownership modifiers don't actually do anything. Well, they're not enforced. Uh, They're not enforced. Yeah. Um, So protocol should specify that something is weak and then the class doesn't specify that uh, or the whatever type conforms to the protocol does not uh, actually uh, adhere to that. Um, So you can get some maybe unexpected behavior. In my opinion, it's, you know, this is kind of, this is one reason I never liked when Objective-C protocols, people would declare properties in them because you have these like weak and strong modifiers there. And to me, it's like the protocol shouldn't be enforcing memory management semantics in the first place. Um, You know, Objective-C should just have like a, a typical like getter method instead of like declaring a property in my opinion. Because yeah, but it, it is useful to abstract over um, the the behavior of an interface mm-hmm. uh, in the protocol definition, right? Because ultimately that's what a protocol is. It's, um, it's an API or an interface contract that says mm-hmm. uh, things that adhere to this will behave in this way. Sure. Um, so, if the protocol will essentially ignore ownership keywords, then the right thing to do is to disallow using them. Because otherwise, you're you're basically lying about the, the contract that uh, implementers or conformers to a protocol uh, can, can uh, implement. But otherwise, it would still be good to be able, in some cases, to encode that, for example, um, accessing this property or, or this member... Um, may not, uh, or, or like it, it might be weak, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, or it might be unowned. So you should do a correctness check before accessing this, right? Mm-hmm. And therefore, everything that conforms to this protocol 
kind of provides this interface. I'm not saying it's a good API design pattern, but uh, yeah. in some cases it might be useful to say like, you can't just assume that accessing this property will work. Sure, but to me that's like, you know, if I'm writing code against this protocol type, I really shouldn't have to care if it's weak or not. The uh, being specified as optional is enough to provide that information in a way either you know because if it's weak it is therefore optional if it's not then i mean it can be optional or not unowned would be like an implicitly unwrapped yeah you know so it's kind of but then we're kind of conflating uh uh, the concept of optionality in api design versus ownership Mm -hmm. um and maybe that's all right in most cases yeah uh but there's a reason why both exist sure Right. And um, it's also possible to have a weak optional. Right. So what does that mean? Right. Just like what what is what does it mean to have an optional collection? Right. What's the difference between an empty array or a nil array? Well, yeah, well, that's the question of that is the question. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And you could argue that it's it's poor API design to have too many states like that. Yeah. But um, I've seen this used, especially internally, where it's it's kind of limited access where you could have, say, an optional, uh, an optional collection. Yeah. And the same th- the same argument stands for an optional week. Yeah. But ultimately, it's not the kind of API that I'd want to expose to external consumers, right? It might be an okay implementation detail, like for example, when you have a lazy, lazily computed property, uh, and then it's nil if it hasn't been computed yet, or then you set it to an empty array once it has been computed. Yeah, yeah. Not exactly something I'd want to expose as the external interface um, to to my library, but for internal use, uh, there there are times where that's useful. Right. I think we will always have to suffer the empty or nil situation. I I prefer an empty array over nullability. Uh, it's also like an optional bool. It's like, right. what, is, what does that even well, mean? Well, it depends how many states you have, right? If you want to encode three states, then an optional bool, I mean, <laughs> use an enum, really. Um, but no, there, optional yeah, there are times bool where that's all not. the way. Enum, that's just <laughs> too much. That's more typing. Uh, yeah. yeah, fewer characters is better, right? Yeah, and then you just, you know, say what false, true, and nil mean in the documentation, and then... Then it's self-documenting documentation. Yeah, yeah, and it's great, and it's fine. Uh, so, uh, ultimately, going back to to this proposal of removing ownership keywords from protocols, um, you know, this is uh, definitely better than what we had before, where there'd be kind of a false sense of guarantees, where you could have ownership keywords in a protocol, but they would in no shape or form be enforced, and uh, so it was very misleading. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the the options here were either just remove this whole thing or actually enforce it. And yeah, I I feel like removing it is fine. If for some reason someone feels like this is something that should be added later, um, that would be an additive change. And so... So this will be available in Swift 4.1. Already implemented. Yeah. Coming in spring 2018. Yeah. Okay, another topic that came up uh, in the past couple weeks was the idea of adding a result type to the standard library or an either type. So there's a lot of, I mean, this has pretty much always been 
discussed since like the very early days of Swift. And actually. will continue being discussed <laughs> even <laughs> after this is finally added to the Sandra library. People will still talk about it. Right. Even though there's like a very uh, well-established result library that just provides this one type from Antitypical on GitHub, people really want it in the standard library. I think it's not a, it's not as easy as just like, oh, we should add this type. There's a lot of stuff to consider with regard to uh, async await and really the whole concurrency story that's coming. And whether or not the result type should be parameterized on an error type as well, or if it should uh, not be customizable at all and really just always default to Swift error protocol. Right. Uh, and man, this is... Um, a hornet's nest of uh, of different opinions, yeah. And ultimately, you're not really going to settle on any one thing that'll please please everyone. Um, there's part of this conversation. There's a generalization of this discussion, which is um, an either type. Yeah, and Slava Pestov brought this up on on Twitter. Um, looks like he said a couple of talks. I think it was talking about the talks at Swift Summit. Um, and he says, we really need an either type. Yeah, there, there's a very strong difference philosophically between an either type and a result type. Yep. Um, I feel like an either type is much less opinionated. Mm -hmm. And therefore, um, there might actually be kind of a solution that most reasonable people can agree on. Right. Um, whereas with, with results, uh, well, for one, you can build a result on top of an either type. Exactly. And also, a result doesn't necessarily solve um, something that you can't do at all right now in Swift. Mm -hmm. Like, generally, it can allow you to to solve the same kinds of things that are already being being done via some other mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Look at, you know, Swift error handling. Whereas the either type um, does solve a real problem that we have right now uh, of like not having mutually exclusive types. Right. Right. And so in, in Slava's tweet, he said that uh, a lot of talks were defining a tuple of, or a closure rather, that takes an optional T and optional error as parameters um, and returns void. Yeah. But there's nothing in this type that enforces that uh, exactly one of non-optional T, non-optional error right. will be available. Right. Uh, and so we're really overloading this concept of tuples and, and optionals mm -hmm. to say something entirely different. Yeah. Um, and so the either type can really come in handy there where it enforces that exactly one of T or error uh, will, be, will be encoded in this value. Right. So again, back to the idea that an either type is uh, less opinionated, um, it's a more like generic way to look at this kind of result type because it doesn't have to just be like data or error. You could have a situation where a function needs to return one of two different types for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, and in that case, then either type is the right thing to reach for probably. Maybe we should take a step back if anyone's listening who isn't sure what an either type is. It's similar to an optional where you have like some something or nothing, uh, except in an either type, you just have like case one and case two. It's either a type T or type U that you get back. Um, I guess you could have an either type with more cases, but 
or yeah. an either of either's, but <laughs> probably a bad idea. Well, yeah, just like uh, an optional collection. Um, you know, not to say that it, it should never, ever, ever be used and completely disallowed by the compiler, but right. you, sh- you should think twice about <laughs> yeah. about using it. Right. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, also from the standpoint of the standard library, which should provide more foundational building blocks, an either type makes a lot of sense to me uh, to be included. Um, and then, you know, the current result library that we have in the community could just be re-implemented with an either type under the hood. Um, and, you know, most of its public API could probably remain the same or you could even um, probably reduce it um, and rely on, you know, what the API that either would provide in the standard library. Yeah, you could imagine, you know, a world in which you might even have some syntactic sugar around ethers that mm-hmm. are then leveraged in uh, further extensions of either, such as uh, a result type. Yeah. Um, much like you have, you know, optional chaining, you could have something similar for either. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily advocating for it, but but it would be a possibility. Yeah, I think there's a strong case to add an either type uh, to the standard library. I don't have any concrete examples, but I also suspect that there are um, cases in the standard library that exist today that would benefit from an either type. Right. So much like a lot of um, third-party code has things like uh, optional T or optional error tuple, um, I'm sure there are some cases in the standard library's API that um, could be more type-safe by enforcing that one of two different types is returned or is taken as a parameter right. uh, rather than you know something that uh, is less strictly defined. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, the other thing I can think of is the, the interop story with Objective-C. So there are tons of Cocoa APIs that uh, you receive a, some completion block that has, you know, like the URL session APIs, you get optional data, optional error, um, and the docs always specify like only one of these is going to be returned um, or only one of these will be not nil. So we could also potentially improve a lot of Objective-C APIs bridging those back with an either type instead. Yeah, but that's where you start to overlap on the discussion for async uh, uh, that's true. functionality, right? Where yeah. uh, that could potentially be defined via some other means. Right. Uh, which is kind of the whole genesis of this whole discussion, right? Is yeah. that uh, should we, shouldn't we? Well, there are better things that might be coming down the pipeline in like one or two or three Swift versions. So yeah. maybe we shouldn't hamstring ourselves. But that's where an either is less committal than a result. Right. Yeah, it doesn't really make any statements on error handling uh, directly, at least. And and maybe that's some of the criticism for it is that it's not uh, not a strong enough stance. Wow, not generic enough is an argument against it. <laughs> Too generic, <laughs> yeah. I would say. Right? Not specialized. Or, sorry. Enough. Yeah. 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 I think that's all we will discuss today. 
Um, you can find the show uh, on Twitter at Swift underscore Unwrapped. You can find me, Jesse underscore Squires. You can find me at SimJP. And if you like the show, please uh, leave a review on iTunes or join us on Spectrum.chat uh, to chat more about the show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>